Remain standing. Please join me in the recitation of the Shema. This is something that we do as we follow our rabbi and our brother and our savior, Jesus. These are words he would have said every morning when he woke, every evening before he went to bed. And any time the scripture was about to be read, they would have declared these words together. Say the first part in Hebrew and I'll say it and you can repeat it back to me. And then we say the English part all together. It's printed in your bulletin. Join with me now. Shema Israel. Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. As you remain standing, listen to this portion of the story of God, as it is written in the library that confounds our expectations, from the third chapter of John's Gospel. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will, I, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. If you have spent much time in or around the church, you have most likely heard the story of Nicodemus. Even if we don't know the details of the story that we just heard, we certainly know one of the Christian catchphrases that it generated. The phrase, born again. As in, are you a born again Christian? That comes from this very story, this strange encounter between Jesus and a Jewish leader and Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now most of the commentary and teaching that I have heard about Nicodemus over the years sums him up as the guy who doesn't get it. Nicodemus is the guy who comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness, recognizes him as a teacher sent by God, but doesn't understand who Jesus really is or what Jesus is talking about. Theologian and scholar Gerald Sloyan calls Nicodemus a bumbling figure. Our friend Alexander Shia calls Nicodemus the tragic figure of John's gospel. 
For quite some time, our scholars and theologians have painted Nicodemus as a simpleton, as an archetype for the closed-minded, as those whose tight grip on the God they know prevents them from experiencing the God they have. And I don't know about you, but I don't mind that Nicodemus is cast as a closed-minded simpleton. To be honest, it makes me feel pretty good about myself. I get it, after all. So I'm quite comfortable in seeing Nicodemus as so locked up in some old dusty tradition and religion that he can't see the forest for the trees. That's Nicodemus, after all. That's who he is. That's not me. I'm, I'm born again. I know what it means to be born again. It means that I have said the sinner's prayer and accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. It means that among, it means that among other things that I study the Bible, that I belong to a church where I tithe, that I help teach Sunday school, that I put a little ichthus fish symbol on my car, that I decorate my home and my body with crosses, that I listen to Christian radio, and that I watch the Passion of the Christ every Easter. I mean, those are the signs of life that have been, that, that prove that I've been born again. But what if for a moment we consider the possibility that my definition of born again was not what Jesus was talking about? Just for the sake of the argument, let's ask the question, is there more going on in this story than we realize? What if things, including Nicodemus, are not what they seem? For starters, I have to admit that this story about the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus is only in the Gospel of John. And if there's one thing that I have learned about the Gospel of John, is that things are usually not what they seem. There is always more going on in John's Gospel than I realize. John's Gospel is replete with illusion, metaphor, and symbol. It is, in my humble opinion, one of the most contextually complex and richly beautiful pieces of writing in all of human history. In fact, here's a good rule of thumb. If you meet someone who tells you they have the Gospel of John all figured out, you have just met John, Jesus, or someone who does not have the Gospel of John figured out. Let me give you some examples of what I mean about the Gospel of John. There's a Hebraic concept called remez. Remez is a storytelling device. It's a hint, a directional arrow that provides context by pointing to an earlier story or scripture. John's gospel is chock full of remez. The very first words of John's gospel are actually a perfect example of that. John starts his gospel with the words, in the beginning. As a remez, as a directional arrow that points the audience back to this another story that starts with the words in the beginning. The story of creation, the garden, Adam and Eve, in the beginning. John wants his gospel to be received in the context of that garden, the beginning garden. And John doesn't just rely on the opening three words of his gospel to get that point across. Throughout the Gospel of John, John points back to Genesis 1 and 2, back to creation, back to the beginning, back to the garden. Every Easter, we hear when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and encounters the resurrected Christ, she doesn't recognize him because she mistakes him for the gardener. 
Only in John's gospel is Jesus the gardener because John wants us in the garden. John loves to use the number seven because it is another directional arrow that points back to the seven days of creation. Only in John's gospel does Jesus make seven I am statements about his identity. In John's gospel, Jesus performs seven miraculous signs. John is asking his audience to be in a garden state of mind and spirit as they hear his testimony of Jesus. He wants to conjure up images and associations of beginning, of creation, of new life, maybe even birth. But it's not just the use of remez or directional arrows that remind us there's always something more going on in John's gospel. It's also some of the words that John chooses to tell his testimony of Jesus. John loves to choose words that have depth and layers, words that sometimes seem out of place and confusing. Essentially, John likes to use words that require interpretation, words that simply cannot just be read past, words that require us to stop and do some work. In the short exchange we heard this morning between Jesus and Nicodemus, there are at least four such words. To start, Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, per my English translation of the Bible, I tend to read that word see as if it means those who are born again will literally get to see or lay eyes on the kingdom of God someday. But not to John. He means something more. The word that John chooses for see is the Greek word adon, which can mean see, but if I do the work, I learn that adon is not a word that refers to physically seeing something someday. Adon is a word that means behold, experience, learn about right now. Now, that's quite different than visually seeing the kingdom of God someday when I die. Now, while we're at it, there's another one of those layered words at the end of the same sentence. Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one can actively and presently experience, learn about, and understand the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is a word we should notice because it's the word that trips up Nicodemus. The word, again. If Jesus had just said, those who wish to see the kingdom of God must be born, Nicodemus would have understood that. After all, birth is a big deal. To Nicodemus, your birth told you and everyone else who you were with. Your birth revealed your tribe. And Nicodemus understood that. He had been born into the tribe of Israel, a tribe called by God to a special relationship and a special responsibility, a tribe called to bless all other tribes. So if Jesus had said, those who wish to see the kingdom of God must be born into our tribe, Nicodemus would have agreed with that too. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, you must be born anathen. The word that we translate as again is the Greek word anathen. We translate born anathen as born again, except sometimes we don't. Depending on what Bible translation we have, that statement from Jesus may read born again, 
with a little footnote down at the bottom that says, or born from above, or vice versa. Your Bible may read born from above with a little footnote down at the bottom that says, or born again. Here's the problem. Anathan means both again and from above at the same time. It's not a matter of choosing which one of those definitions is the most correct. They're both correct simultaneously, even though they don't mean the same thing. So if you're starting to get confused, believe me, I understand. And so does Nicodemus. The statement about being born again from above thoroughly confuses Nicodemus. He's already been born, and his birth into the tribe of Israel is very important to him. He has no desire to undo or redo that birth that initiated his special relationship with and his special relationship to God. He has a right to be confused. And it doesn't help matters that when he questions Jesus as to how that is even physically possible to be born again, Jesus starts talking about the wind as if that clears it up. Friends, I may be used to glazing right over this section of Scripture, nodding my head in Christian affirmation, as if I completely understand Jesus' description of being born again from above like the wind, all the while looking down my nose at Nicodemus for failing to get it. But the truth is, I'm not sure I get it. The word that gets translated as wind in our English Bibles is another one of those layered words that John loves so much. It's the Greek word pneuma. Pneuma is a Greek word that we may recognize. It's the root of words like pneumonia and pneumatic, which in English are words that deal with breathing or air. And that's because the Greek word pneuma means breath and wind and spirit all at the same time. So to be clear, Nicodemus asked Jesus, how is it possible to be born more than once? And Jesus describes that birth as being of the breath, the wind, the spirit. Which one is it, you ask? Well, according to John, Jesus' answer is yes. Nicodemus is thoroughly confused. And you know what? I don't blame him. Nicodemus is not getting the answers he's looking for. He's not getting anything close to what he expects from Jesus. This conversation, this relationship is not anything like Nicodemus thought it would be. Confused, confounded, bumbling around in the darkness, Nicodemus asked Jesus, how can what you are describing be? It's at this point that John quotes Jesus as letting one more of those ridiculously layered words loose on Nicodemus. Jesus tells Nicodemus, in the same way that Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That phrase, lifted up, comes from the Greek root hypso. And it does mean to physically lift up. But it also means to exalt or acclaim. So Jesus tells Nicodemus that this new birth will be made possible when Jesus is lifted up on a pole and exalted. And as if that wasn't weird enough, the story of Moses that Jesus references is an incredibly strange story. 
It's a story from the 21st chapter of Numbers where the Israelites are wandering in the desert after fleeing Egypt and they start to complain and speak against Moses. According to the story, God's response to the Israelites' behavior is to send venomous snakes to attack them until they relent and ask Moses to pray to God to take the snakes away. And when Moses prays, God tells him to make a snake of bronze and hip-so it up on a pole so that anyone who is bitten can look upon the snake and live. This is not simple stuff. This is quite strange. So for the sake of our friend Nicodemus, let's recap, shall we? John has used directional arrows throughout his gospel to point back to the creation and the Garden of Eden to make sure that his stories are heard in the context of beginning and birth. And then he uses four deeply layered Greek words to quote Jesus as telling Nicodemus that no one can, be, can actively experience and understand the kingdom of God unless they are born anew from above. And that birth is detailed as being like the wind, like the breath, like the spirit. And that will be possible because just as Moses raised up a snake on a pole in the wilderness, Jesus will be physically lifted up and exalted. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to understand why Nicodemus may have needed a moment to process. I'm starting to think that our scholarly conclusions about Nicodemus being closed-minded and being a bumbling figure might be inaccurate. At the very least, they're not gracious conclusions. It's not like Jesus was giving him simple or even expected answers. Jesus didn't offer Nicodemus a simple transaction whereby the right bloodline, right prayer, or the right religion could assure him access to the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't offer him a transaction at all. He invites him to new birth. A different kind of birth that almost defies explanation. A new beginning. A new garden. A new creation. A new birth. You know, it's interesting that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and they end up talking about new birth and new beginnings. In Jewish consciousness, nighttime, the darkness, is the time of new beginning. After each day in the creation poem of Genesis 1 is the phrase, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. The Jewish day begins at sunset, not sunrise. Jewish consciousness holds darkness as the beginning because of the same creation poems that John has been pointing us to throughout the gospel. The ones that begin with, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the deep. In the beginning, darkness. In the darkness, the new begins. In the darkness, something is born. Nicodemus comes at night. That is no small historical detail. Something more is going on. This is the beginning of something new. The beginning of becoming. 
In the darkness, Nicodemus receives an invitation to something as mysterious and dynamic and unrestricted as the wind. A new birth from above that will be walked out and modeled in flesh and blood as Jesus serves and loves and suffers and surrenders everything. Only to be raised up as a criminal, like a snake on a pole, so that all who look upon him, so that all who follow him, all that become like him, all who acclaim and exalt him, will see what it really means to die and live. For the longest time when I thought I had this story figured out, I just assumed that after listening to Jesus, Nicodemus just hung his head in shame and went away. After all, he was the guy that didn't get it. I just assumed he stayed that way. I assumed he was never born again. Never got the fish for the back of his car. Never watched the passion of Christ. That's not what John's story says. Jesus gives Nicodemus quite a speech, but John doesn't tell us anything about how Nicodemus responds to that speech. John doesn't even tell us how their night meeting ended or how Nicodemus and Jesus parted ways. We do catch a glimpse of Nicodemus a few chapters later in John 7 when the Pharisees and Jewish leaders are contemplating whether or not to arrest Jesus. Nicodemus is there among the Pharisees And he tries to sway the crowd away from arresting Jesus. And he's ridiculed for his trouble. Now, could that be evidence of something new in Nicodemus? Maybe he didn't hang his head in confusion and walk away. Maybe he didn't cling to his old ways of understanding. Maybe that wind, that divine breath, that spirit did plant a seed. Maybe, in a garden, change doesn't happen overnight, in an instant. Maybe, in a garden, new life grows slowly and organically. If that's true, it sure helps me make more sense out of the ending of the 19th chapter of John. It's a little little detail that I didn't used to pay too much attention to. Two people show up to claim the body of the crucified Jesus from the Romans. Now, I could assume that that's just a small historical detail, but this is the Gospel of John. There's always more going on. Two people face the empire in broad daylight and ask for the body of Jesus so that they may care for it with myrrh and aloe and properly bury it. The first person was Joseph of Arimathea, who according to chapter 19, verse 38, was a disciple of Jesus in secret because he feared the Jewish leaders. Second person was Nicodemus, a man who had originally gone to Jesus in secret under the cover of darkness, a man whom Jesus invited into new birth. A man who would later risk his reputation with the religious leaders to help Jesus. A man who now prepares the body of Jesus and places it in a tomb, in a garden. 
my brother, Nicodemus, whose very presence in the daylight of the passion of the Christ led him right to the presence of the eighth and most glorious sign of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. I think Nicodemus might have been born again after all. I think his new birth was the beginning of becoming. In the name of Jesus, may it be so for us as well.